This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I take care of some housekeeping, talk about interdimensional horror, the dimensional shambler, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, 357 miles from the studio with your GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. Yep, we're back. Far apart again. Too but far apart, some would say. Too far. Some would say. Happy belated birthday, bud. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you. Um, as of the recording, it is October 9th. Um, one day after the shared birthday between myself and Haley. And to celebrate, I went back to Chicago to spend some time with the folks. That's why I'm not uh, sitting next to Griff tonight. Yeah, you know, got to make some concessions. Some some people take the entire week of their birthday off. I don't know who would possibly do that. Uh, during their busy season, no less, at work. <laughs> um, and, and, and our busy season at the HLP. October's our busiest season. That is true. You know why I took this week off, Griff? It was a holdover from the... Um, the weekend of like October 2nd, having the brew fest and then the weekend after of like the 9th, 10th, 11th, having um, the rescheduled origins fest. I took the whole week off to string those two things together. Oh they, yeah, that was smart. They both got canceled and I never canceled my PTO. And a couple weeks ago I was like, Oh shit, uh, either I'm taking this or I'm not. So I ended up just taking it and coming home. Yeah, not a bad strategy. Yeah, it's 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 working out for me. I've been uh, I've been tasting some Chicago brews. Had some uh, had some home style pizza here last night. Been doing a lot of hiking. It's been great. Well, speaking of uh, hometown brews, what you got over there? Well, what you drinking? You know what? You're right. It certainly is a hometown brew. This one's from Imperial Oak Brewing. I've shouted them a few times out on the show, but this one's called a Hefe or no, no, geez, uh, yeah. Heffen Nother, like have another, I guess. Oh, Hef another. So, yeah. Um, the apostrophe threw me off there, but it's a Hefeweizen. Haven't had it before from these guys, but I'm expecting it to be good because they always kill it. Oh, that's easy drinking, Griff. That's easy drinking. Nice. How about you, man? What are you rocking tonight? Uh, right now I'm drinking a, from Stable 12 Brewing Company, I'm drinking a Night with Max, which is a spooky stout. It's only 6%. I, I left my, uh, I, I have a sidearm and that's the big gruesome. That's the, uh, oh chocolate peanut butter stout. It's a little heavier ABV. I figured I'd slide into my Friday night, mm-hmm. go a little lighter and then a little heavier. Cause we are, we are coming directly off your, your full work shift. So I think that that yeah, strategy I, works. I got off a meeting and 10 minutes later I'm here. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the fun call, though. The fun call. Are these uh, are are those beers um, some of the ones from your um, your trip to Pittsburgh not too long ago? Uh, they're from my trip back home to Philly. Oh, yeah, yes, we, yes, yes. We stopped at uh, at Waywood, that beer distributor that we all spent five hundred dollars at last time we were in town, and uh, spent another five hundred dollars there. <laughs> I walked out of there with like a pallet of beer. All great stuff too. 
that's that's one of the biggest uh, COVID hits that's that's happened to me personally. Not being able to go to that specific place, <laughs> that beer distributor, and the Brewfest in general. Yeah, it looks like some whack corner store, but you go in and it's just like a damn warehouse of incredible beers. Yeah, my dad actually has waiting for me at home. Unfortunately, the brew fest happened after I made my trip home. Mm -hmm. He has 48 tall boys of craft beer. Oh God. The two pallets or the two, the two cases that, uh, cause they did the brew, they did a backyard brew fest this year. So Mm -hmm. because of COVID they didn't do the festival, but the, most of the brewers were nice enough to send like what they were going to bring in tall boys. And so for the ticket price, they kind of put together these 48 tall boys into two cases and, I'm just yeah. shaking, shaking my head over here, man. 48 tall boys. And you know, most of those are probably pretty high AVV. That's the good stuff. Yeah. If last year was any indication at the fest, most of the October stuff, you, you start to get about a 40% dark heavy. Yeah. Beers beer get darker. AVVs go up. I, I heard a, a little birdie told me there might be a, a beer in there with my name on it. A beer that some people really enjoyed me talking about on air not too long ago. Yeah, yeah, a uh, milky, milky, shaky, shaky. Everybody loves it. Yeah, they uh, they produced the. Oh, I, I can't remember what uh, what kind it is. It's a it's a different milkshake IPA. It's it's. Some, oh, I mean, this I was I was very close to this. I saw I saw pineapple. Pineapple, I, yeah. Okay, there you excited. go. Yeah. I wasn't as close to that. I, I didn't really care for the milky, milky, shaky, shaky. Oh, get out of here. Get out of here. Um, all right. Well, you know what? We do have some stuff to discuss today, Griff. Um, I'm going to pause here for just a moment for you to slide in on the back end um, with, a, with a little backing track. What's it going to be? Who knows? Probably. I'll pick something spooky. It's, it's October. Why not? It is, man. So... Um, before we get into the housekeeping, I'm excited. These, I, I, I asked for a lot of questions from our Discord server, spooky questions that we're going to get to later. Um, oh boy, we got some good ones. The the people really brought it, and the the creature that we're going to feature today is very spooky. I know from experience. I love October, man. How how has your October been? Has have you seen any horror yet? Have I seen any horror? Um, well, I, I haven't, you been I haven't been watching, I, ha- I haven't necessarily been spooked yet. I, like I said, masters of horror, um, started watching that season. I, uh, I just picked up the unabridged zombie, uh, world war Z, uh, by Max Brooks and the, voice acting cast for that is crazy good so i've been burning through that i think it's a 12 hour audio book i bought it two days ago and i have two hours left holy crap so have you have you read <laughs> world war z before then i had i had read world war z i read that uh right after i read the zombie survival guide and i see that he has some sort of bigfoot book that i'm interested in next really i am not yeah this yeah, I, I, I don't remember what it's called. I know it's about Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. And if it's classic Max Brooks style, it's going to be uh, a very interesting read. Oh, maybe I have to review it for the show. Who knows? 
Maybe. Maybe. Um, what else have you been up to, man? This is our little section at the top where we just kind of shoot the shit about what we've what we've been into the last couple weeks. Uh, I watched season four of My Hero Academia. Was uh, very pleased by that. I, well, I watched as far as Hulu has dubbed. I, I am watching it dubbed because Haley and I like to watch it together. Mm, I do not agree with that choice. <laughs> Subs, no dubs. And... Um, and I've been uh, I just finished the latest episode of The Boys I'll keep saying it I think this was the season finale if, if it wasn't it felt like it I, I, uh, season, I think it was supposed eight. to um, do not tell me what happens I'm safe I won't tell you what happens I will just tell you that it is fucking insane oh boy I mean episode 7 insane. ended in a crazy way so it's so good uh, so finish that up I start. I, I actually beat the Digimon uh, game I've been playing for a while, so that's. I have a couple hundred hours into it. No big deal. No big deal. And uh, no, yeah, no big, no big deal at all. Some of that was me falling asleep while playing it. And uh, you know, we've been we've been playing a lot of Among Us on the Discord, which has been cool. I brought out an old classic. Uh, if you like the kind of Diablo style computer rpgs i've been playing grim dawn which is pretty fun it's it's this a similar vein but it's kind of cool because all of the classes in the game so there's like 16 classes or something Mm -hmm. but you take a you take a starting class and then you get another class at level 10 and they all combine to a different blended class okay okay i mean so there's so like there's a lot of customizability with how you play like right now i'm playing a shaman character which shamans are kind of like elemental magic but also are the best at using like two-handed weapons and i combine that with a necromancer so now i like run around busting shit with lightning and hitting it with a with a giant maul and i have like my uh, skeleton archer team all following behind me shooting shit. It's pretty fun. I'm enjoying it. But there's like guns in it, so you could be like an explosive expert. It's it's a weird like fantasy, uh, I guess steampunky blend. I like that, man. I, I like the, the concept of forcing you to blend up all these different classes so you could be in no you can double down. You can double oh, down on your okay. initial class and it gives you it gives you different um, benefits. Like some stuff you can only unlock if you go like shaman shaman, for instance. Mm-hmm. But and uh, and just offhand, about how many classes would you say like core classes before you mix them up? I mean, you're dealing with. I think with the expansion, it's it's somewhere in the realm of ten to twenty. Okay, <laughs> I can't exactly remember. It's pretty big. I think I think it's at least ten, and it might be like twelve, fourteen, something like that. So that's going to be something that warrants a replay or two. Play the different styles and stuff. Oh, absolutely. It kind of reminds me of um, Path of Exile, which is a very similarly styled game. But in that one, you don't pick a class. You kind of have these crazy skill trees that branch out everywhere. And you mm-hmm. can you can start from any point on the skill tree and work out. So Damn. in that one, you kind of build your own class. In this one, it's a little more... I guess siloed because you're picking classes, but you are pretty pretty much customizing how you want to play. Nice, man. Nice. Well, as for me, 
this may surprise you and it may surprise the listeners at home, but I have been playing me some Star Wars Squadrons. There you go. Oh man. I mean, it's a it's a flight simulator where you are first person sitting in the cockpit of an X-wing, a tie fighter, all of the different classic ships. Um just blasting stuff in space it's so much fun i i personally had never played like the old x-wing or tie fighter games but i've heard a lot of people say it's very faithful to those games um which is exciting but i I think it was very well done and it really is letting me live out my fantasy of like skimming across the shield of a star destroyer just cutting loose with lasers and stuff it's very cool and i heard there is vr so I may <laughs> may have to uh, I'm gonna do air quotes here on our video call gift uh, Brooks the game for Christmas or something coming up and then just invite <laughs> myself over his place to play with his oculus set up. I was gonna say uh, how long until we can expect you to get the whole like cockpit moving uh, moving chair that uh, that has the screen surrounding it and shit. So well, I mean, co- like COVID changed a lot. Those are on back order, so it's gonna it's gonna be a <laughs> while. Uh, but besides that, you know, like I said, I've been back home in Chicago. Whenever I come home, um, I end up watching some TV show with my parents, and it is pretty much always like a uh, some sort of survival show your man versus wilds your dual survival your survivor man that kind of stuff and they turned me on to a new show that is on amazon prime right now called the island it's hosted by bear grills but he's really not in the show all that much he just kind of talks and comments on it basically in the first season he takes 14 regular average men and just puts them on a desert island and sees if they can survive for four weeks. He gives them like good fucking luck, two knives, and that's like it. So, um, you truly, truly see people like you and me just falling apart, trying to survive. <laughs> um, and I've really been enjoying it. I've actually, um, I mean, you know, you know how much I appreciate the corner of the. Galarian world that is like the Mwangi Expanse and Sargava and the Shackles and the Eye of Abandango and stuff um, and they all have those mechanics built in of okay you're you're trapped on this island or you have to deal with these jungle threats all the stuff that I'm watching people deal with in the show and I'm like oh I could conceivably watch this show as research for like a Shackles or a Sargava AP or something or module or whatever so that's been that was me looking through my Pathfinder lens watching the show, but it's just pretty great to see uh, people really flounder. But they do come together, so it's fun. <laughs> oh, they come together at the end. That's great. Yeah, and then I think so. I've, I'm watching season one and two concurrently because my parents watch season one. I'm going back and watching season one, but then when we're together, we're watching season two. And season two is twice as long because there's one island of fourteen men and one island of fourteen women. And there's and it's not it's not so much a duel of the sexes thing. It just seems like they wanted to uh, double the length of the the series. Um, yeah, but it's great. Well, they wanted to they wanted to keep it from being like the survivor like uh, romances and shit happening. Oh yeah, so, they, I mean yeah, prime territory for romance when you're on your third day without water, about to die. <laughs> um. When you do, you, you really get to know somebody when you drink their piss out of a, a snakeskin. That's 
Griff, I've said that once. I'll say it again, you know? That's how you really get to know who's the one. Or at least that's how I think I'm going to get to know who's the one. Uh, besides that, I got, I got a music suggestion for my people out there. Number one on the Billboard charts, Machine Gun Kelly dropped a new, new record. And I wasn't really a huge fan of his till the last year or two. And he put out a pop punk record that is in the vein of your old Blink-182, your old Sum-41, a little bit of Jimmy Eat World, or even like a hair of the Wonder Years in there. And I, it just scratches the right itch for me at this point in life. I'm really appreciating it. Are, are you know, is the lyrical content there? Not really. But damn, are those some, some bops. Uh, I was going to say, is it is it past its prime? Like you? Yes! It's perfect! <laughs> Machine Gun Kelly past his prime? Well, he's doing something right, man, because he is number one on the Billboard Top 100. It is a, it's a, it's a dope record. Um, you got appearances on the bonus tracks from Burt McCracken of the Used and Young Blood and stuff. Halsey makes an appearance on a, on a, on a song called Forget Me Too, which should be on every radio station it is such a jam um but enough about that griff we got housekeeping to do and i want to start off with a question that i had on last two weeks ago zone of truth episode 43 that was on the agenda and i forgot to ask you and it was going to be a big exciting thing because we are getting into book four of carrying crown what is the name of book four wake of the watcher baby the wake of the watcher okay now we discussed some themes last time that it's gonna get lovecrafty and it's gonna get spooky even spookier than before maybe uh, so i don't know what that means but i'm very excited that out of the way uh, i know we've been talking a little bit about the return of the evil interlude that's coming back october 31st so refresh your podcast feeds this Halloween, and maybe while you're slipping in to that slutty cat costume or whatever, because I know that's probably eh, 70 to 80% of our fans are going to be dressing up as that this year. Um, while you're slipping in that skin-tight cat suit, pop on that evil interlude. See what the see what the gang's up to. I heard we're continuing the jailbreak, Griff. Yes, we're going to finish the Vire arc. So are you are you ready for that? We are recording in eight days to get that done. Yeah, I think I've been ready for it since we started the Vire arc. It's <laughs> just things have, things have gotten in the way of us being able to record that, certainly. Yeah, so um, I'm very excited. I've got the last couple Evil Interlude episodes queued up for me to listen to as I trek home this Sunday. Looking forward to it. I got a nice six-hour drive. I'm going to listen to those, and I'm going to be all ready to go. Yeah, I think we'll do a little recap there. Yeah, I think that's probably a good idea. It's been it's long. It's been long enough. It's been long enough. I mean, the last one, last one came out, I think, in February? Yeah, I think I, I legitimately think it's been since COVID, because that's why it's on hiatus. Yes. <laughs> We're, it's Halloween, man. Like you said earlier, this is our busy season. This is our Super Bowl. We're coming in hot. Yep. Spooky podcast, got to do spooky things, baby. That's what they said. And and speaking of which, have you thought about the future of the Evil Interlude cast? Do you know where we're going next? I mean, maybe you shouldn't say, but I just want to hear that your 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 wheels are spinning, your gears are turning. Yeah, 
my gears are definitely turning on it. I think bringing so many of the characters to the to the present has caused things to probably fundamentally change in the past, especially given how Saw's arc changed. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be different. I mean, this is probably this the end of Vire might be the last time you see Saw as a part of the evil interlude. And so what's that new party going to look like? What's the, uh, you know, what's the dynamic going to be? I mean, the party might be splitting up in different directions soon. Yeah. In the evil interludes. That's that, that is true. I know we've talked about that uh, pretty extensively. Have we talked about my backup character? I think we have. We have. Yes. Yeah. I'm I'm very excited for for my backup character. It's have we talked about it? I already put pieces of it in the evil interlude. Oh duh, we did. And you know what? I don't think that's ever been mentioned. So go back and listen to Vire, folks, and see if you can figure out what the uh, what the little tease is. <laughs> I don't think they're gonna figure it out without context. No, no, but way. it'll be an aha moment later. Yes, it absolutely will be. Um, Great, well, man. Well, I I am so excited to get back. Um, it will. I it's sounding like this is going to be the very last time I'll, I'll be able to play Evil Saw. So, this is it. I'll go out with a bang. I'll do something crazy. It'll be fun. Um, I'll just kill your character again. God, <laughs> we'll have to figure out how that works. Just break <laughs> continuity. Saw's actually died like three or four times now. <laughs> We're going to go back to our older episodes and add like an addendum clause to one of his speeches. Just splice in a, a new line of dialogue. Oh, by the way, I died once before in fire. I've, I've, been, I've been dead before. Uh, but yeah, so with the evil interlude recording this upcoming Saturday, we're going to roll into a drunken discordly after that. We've been doing these themed uh for the last little while dressing up as as stuff so that's going to be on the i'm looking at my calendar here 17th we'll be fresh off recording and we're going to hop right in there uh 9 p.m eastern to uh to, to you know kick back a little bit celebrate with the folks but what does that mean because we slightly adjusted our disorderly um uh, our disorderly schedule that means we are going to have a drunken disorderly on halloween the 31st so we're gonna do it up big we have a meeting coming up soon full podcast we're gonna discuss what everyone's gonna be wearing we're gonna dress it up we're gonna go wild and if you plan on attending that discordally i challenge you to come dressed up Mm, listeners at home i want to see some wild costumes maybe dress up as your favorite uh your favorite hlp character i don't know or just wear any costume. Who gives a shit? Um, but if you're not doing anything on the 31st, or you're planning on attending, swing by. $10 and up on the Patreon tier. It's going to be an absolute blast. Which, by the way, I mean, what the fuck else are you doing? It sucks. This year, Halloween's during COVID. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, give kids candy? No, you're not. No, you're not. They're not even going to come close to your house. Well, Gross idiot. What are you going to do? You might have COVID. What are you going to do? wear too little clothing and go to a bar that's too cold no you're not that bar's closed what are you gonna hang out with a responsible number of people at your house maybe bring them to discord no you're not you don't have that many friends (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah 
I mean, that's that's that is a that is that is also a a situation you could find yourself in. You're maybe hosting a little uh, Halloween event with you know less than ten of your closest friends. Bring them on to Squirterly. Tell them to dress up. Tell them to dress up as their favorite HLP member. <laughs> Tell them to listen to episode one and decide. Yeah. In fact, I challenge them. You can dress up as your favorite HLP character or cast member. So they're gonna need a lot of pasty paint. <laughs> that's that's true. It's time. To, it's time to wrap up housekeeping, Griff. And uh, wrapping up housekeeping is going to be a little vague. I just want people to know at home, we got big announcements. Big changes coming up. Big. Very big. I don't know what I'm allowed to say, so I'm not going to say anything, basically. But there's been a lot of discussions here at the HLP. With each other. With other folks. Discussing things. And soon... Discussing things and stuff. And stuff. And soon, um, a lot's going to change. A lot's going to change, I believe, for the better. HLP is going to be bigger and better than you've ever seen it before. But that's all I can say. All I'll say is I, I've i never signed more paper during COVID. <laughs> that's true. That's true. They just call me John Hancock. <sighs> Drop the hand. Call me Johnny Cock. That's right. Because I'm signing paper. Okay, time to get into the meat of this episode. Speaking about, let me let me take this again. If we're already talking about cock, let's get into the meat of this uh, this 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 episode here. If you could pull it together one time and get one of those zingers off, I'd be so proud of you. I was already transitioning by the time I thought of it, and then I got excited to do it, so I went back. It didn't really work. But here's what's happening. We're doing a My Favorite Monster segment. This is going to be on the Dimensional Shambler. Now, you might say, Steve, how can you responsibly do this segment but still have to complete the combat in episode 114 coming up? My answer would be is we're not doing a complete My Favorite Monster. So we're going to talk about basically what this creature is in real-life fandom or real-life fiction. We're going to talk about its place in the Paizo universe, the, the Pathfinder-verse, whatever you like to call it. And then we'll probably touch on some of the mechanics you've seen. We are definitely not going to hit everything because episode 113 ends on a huge cliffhanger and there is still a lot of craziness to come. We don't want to spoil anything. But this creature is so damn cool that I couldn't not talk about it. So, Griff, what order do you want to go in, man? Do you want to you want to go in mechanics, then Pathfinder, then in real life, vice versa? What do you want to do? I took a ton of notes today. This creature is really cool. I see that. I see that you took a ton of notes. Um, I mean, people are itching to. This is this is commonly brought up. It's a monster from the H.P. Lovecraft mythos, mm-hmm. and so why don't we talk about what it is in that context? Because that's it's kind of why it's in book four. This is true. So, okay, I'm gonna I'll, I'm gonna kick it off here. So this is straight off of Monster.Fandom.com. I'm just gonna quote this exactly because I think this really summarizes the creature to a T. As their name might suggest, dimensional shamblers, sometimes referred to as the hunters from beyond, 
That's Capst. Are a species of alien beings who originate on a plane of distance very different from our own. They make their appearances in H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu Mythos. So, um, as as Griff described in episode 113, these are uh, very tall beings. They're kind of lanky. But when you're reading about them in the in the Lovecraftian sphere, there's some conflicting information about what they actually look like. So they're sometimes described as having simian or ape-like features. Sometimes they're referred to in like a canine or hyena-like way. And both times they are referred to with some insect or worm-like features. Um, But basically all of the sources agree that they're way tall, they can see clear a foot over Matumbe, which I believe we clarify in 114. Uh, they have long, gross, distended arms and exist on what's called a lower realm. So basically, though, uh, though characters and people might be able to see them in the waking material world, they're difficult to fight or even to touch. Although that rule seems to only go one way. Whereas... I might have a problem fighting one of these things, but he is not going to have a problem fighting me. Yeah, it makes me think of the Pathfinder, like, ethereal plane, right? Mm-hmm. You kind of get that, although they they aren't on the ethereal plane in this combat, that's conceivably a way you run them, is the same way that they operate in kind of this mythos, where they're on this sub-level and still able to see you and attack you it's kind of like how even as early as the phase spider like that worked yeah where absolutely. they can just jump between those planes so easily that they can reach out and hurt you from them what's with you and jumping in between shit in between books we got the phase spider jumping between planes we got the weaver worm jumping between above and below ground and now we got dimensional shamblers jumping between our plane and who god knows where now, you're a ninth level party. It's time for plane shifting. <laughs> We're not playing it's around time. anymore. Trading wheels off. Trading wheels off. We're on the back half now. All right. So, Griff, you might be asking me, well, Steve, where do these things come from? And I tell you, they appear in two stories, really. One of them is a 1933 short story by H.P. Lovecraft called The Horror in the Museum, and the other is a 1932 short story by a gentleman called Clark Ashton Smith. That one's titled The Hunters from the Beyond. And so I want to start with that because that actually comes out before the H.P. Lovecraft story. And so you might be asking yourself, Steve, well, that doesn't make, did he just rip it off? You'll see. So Hunters from Beyond is basically this story of a bookshop owner who's reading a book. He looks up and he sees this really creepy thing described in the same way that I just described the dimensional shambler um, sitting in the corner of his shop. He kind of tries to chase it. Um, he ends up getting in contact with, a, with a, I believe it's his cousin who knows things about the occult um, and learns about dimensional shamblers. This thing chases him around, and basically it's just trying to drink his soul. So that sounds very similar to what H.P. Lovecraft describes in the horror in the museum, but I'm going to get to that in a second. Uh, How do these two things tie together? Like I asked, you know, is H.P. Lovecraft ripping people off? Well, not necessarily. So 
Clark Ashton Smith is a short story writer and a poet who I had never heard of before, but he apparently was part of H.P. Lovecraft's inner circle of literary friends. He helped inspire a lot of H.P. Lovecraft's work, and they bounced ideas off each other. Um, And in fact, he contributes to the H.P. Lovecraftian genre almost as much as H.P. Lovecraft himself has in in some ways. Um, I have a quote here from Ray Bradbury saying that Clark Ashton Smith filled my mind with incredible worlds, impossibly beautiful cities, and still more fantastic creatures. Um, uh, Ashton Smith collaborated with H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. Now that gentleman is the creator of the Conan the Barbarian series and supposedly the entire sub-genre of swords and sorcery in general. Um, The three of them got together. They collaborated to write the Weird Tales series of short stories. And a cool fact is they never met. So they were exchanging letters, probably telephone calls and stuff. But these three folks who wrote similarly seem to be great friends at a distance. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So he comes up with this with this creature. It seems like him and H.P. Lovecraft maybe have some sort of communication. Um, they establish this thing's place in the world. And a year later, H.P. Lovecraft writes or publishes The Horror in the Museum. So I'm going to read again, basically just a shot for shot summary from Wikipedia, because I think this summarizes better than I could in a short period of time. So this tale concerns the relationship between Stephen Jones and George Rogers, the owner of a private wax museum specializing in the grotesque. Initially cordial, the relationship degenerates as Jones first mocks Rogers, then comes to suspect that he is demented with his wild tales and suggestions of rites and sacrifices to nameless elder gods. Very H.P. Lovecraft. Jones takes up Rogers' standing offer to spend a night in the museum and is attacked by his host. This host is described as wearing the skin of a dead dimensional shambler. So even though the dimensional shambler does not appear living in this work of art here, this this work of fiction, it's described in exactly the same way as it was in Clark Ashton Smith's story, Hunters from the Beyond. Rogers is wearing this, this suit. He tries to kill Jones, but he is in turn killed by this entity called Ron Tagoth whose body is asleep in the museum that he's been making sacrifices to and ends up becoming part of the displays. I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, Griff. So I I, I start doing some <laughs> Yeah, research. I can see that. It's very easy to do with this H.P. Lovecraft stuff because a lot of these names, a lot of these locations, a lot of these stories are foreign to me. So I want to learn more. Who is Ron Tagoth? Rontagoth is an insectile elder god of seemingly little power who once inhabited the planet Yugoth, but came to live in the ocean off the shore of Alaska. Rontagoth's sleeping body was found there and brought to the UK, where it appears in the horror of the museum. Um, Rontagoth appears to be a vital god for the return of the rest of the elder gods here, Cthulhu and, and stuff. He was the last god to go to sleep, and appears to be the first one to wake up to start bringing everybody back, even though he's not particularly powerful or notable himself. Okay, I think that's pretty cool. So I went further down the rabbit hole. What is this planet, Yugoth? Yugoth is a major stopping off point for the Great Old Ones on their way to Earth, a planet said to be in the Kupir Belt. 
If that is so, Yugoth and Pluto are likely one and the same, as Pluto was the only Kupir belt object to be discovered during Lovecraft's lifetime, which I think is super cool. The real Pluto has a region named the Cthulhu Makula that is shaped like a whale following an online poll from creatures related to underwater mythologies. So, effective, that, is, that is the end of my rabbit hole. Effectively, <laughs> a dimensional shambler was created in Ashton Smith's work. It was cameoed, basically, in an H.P. Lovecraft story that was in, while someone was making sacrifices to this god, which came from this planet, which has a Cthulhu name in it. I went down the rabbit hole. So several degrees of separation. Yes, but I think it's all cool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting creature, right? I see you you brought the picture with you in these notes. And again, this is like the Pathfinder rendition of it, but I think it's pretty faithful. It's just this tall, almost like muscle-bound, but in the sense that like it almost looks like a skinned creature, like it... Its hide is kind of pinkish, like muscle fibers. Yeah, and v- very, very much so. I, I think the torso, abdomen, and, and legs, though creepy, aren't particularly frightening. You're right. It's like a, a, a desiccated, like squelched down. There's no fat on this thing. You can see. Yeah, it's somewhat skeletal. You can see it's like its pelvis and stuff. But the, the head and the arms are where it really differs from real life. Yeah, I mean, the arms are like as long as its eight-foot body, and the the head just has that no eyes, no real face, just that gross smile. Yeah, it's it's got that Kesher cat smile, right? Big, mm-hmm. big smile. It doesn't appear to really have a neck either. It's like the head was plopped on top of its shoulders like the headless horseman with that jack-o'-lantern. And then there's like weird muscle fibers that stretch from like the crown of the head down to the shoulders. It's a, a terrifying image for. Yeah, it reminds for, me of like the Juggernaut. Yes. In his in his uh, helmet. Yes, absolutely, and and, and a terrifying image for uh, for uh, great friends in Pathfinder to wake up to. Yeah. Well. These creatures come up because they obviously are in one of H.P. Lovecraft's works. They're tied into kind of the Lovecraft mythos, and they're actually uh, their bestiary entry is in the back of this book. Cool. So much like the Weaver Worm was in book two or book three, the Dimensional Shambler appears in Wake of the Watcher. And so that's where it's from. Mm-hmm. And the reason you face this creature was because of a percentile table. So there's a there's an encounter table in the back of Wake of the Watcher. The book itself doesn't have any encounters happening between Feldgrau and Thrushmore. And so um, rolled on the table and what you got was 1d4 dimensional shamblers now i had asked brooks to roll me a d4 before we started recording and didn't really give you guys any reason why although you probably figured malicious intent and uh, he rolled a four so four dimensional shamblers each of which is a cr8 creature 
Yes. So it's a pretty brutal encounter to have. Uh, fortunately, you're rested up, and it's kind of the only encounter you're having of the day. But it's. <laughs> I don't think I don't think we can discount just how important Haley's sphere of alertness was. It took two of them out of the fight for a round right away, raised the alarm, got everybody going. Um, I I I went and did a little bit of math myself, and by I went and did a little bit of math myself. I really mean I just plugged in the numbers to a Pathfinder CR calculator online with the four shamblers. That puts this CR, the CR of this encounter at a CR twelve. Yep, that's what I figured. That is difficult. That is a difficult yeah, encounter. No, I mean you guys are level nine, so mm-hmm. it's three plus APL, and you guys have a decent amount of boosts, and your um, both your wealth by level and your actual stats are above your average adventuring party. So yeah. You have that working for you. So it's probably least. it's probably not exactly a three-level jump. It might be closer to a two, maybe, which is a difficult but not impossible encounter. Yeah, I don't think... You know, these might be a CR8. I think their abilities don't really warrant that. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not... They're not as strong as some CR8 creatures. It's not like a ghoul situation where they're much stronger than their CR. I'd say they might be a little bit weaker than their CR. It's just the effects of what they can do and what we saw that they can do are pretty brutal because they, (laughs) you know, if if one of these were to fight a level six party, you, and, and it's only one of them, the things that it can do are much more likely to happen, such as the plane shift we saw at the end of 113. The, those abilities are much more likely to actually land, and at level six, that's a dead character. Oh, for sure. So, yeah. I, I guess while we're on this topic, um, what, if anything, do you want to discuss from their stat block or their abilities? I know we haven't seen everything. We haven't seen, you know, I, I you know, we don't want to reveal their AC, their saves, any of that kind of stuff, but... Is there anything you want to talk to now before we talk about their place in the Pathfinder mythos? Yeah, I would say I I think some interesting things about them and interesting things that I added. um, I I gave because they're they're these dimensional creatures and because this thing is very vague. I mention it in the episode, but they have this thing called Dimension Mastery. And a dimensional shambler can take actions normally after using dimension door effects. Um, in addition, if they're under the effects of dimensional anchor or dimensional lock, they can ignore the effects of the spell for one round by making a knowledge planes check as a move action. They they have a, a lot of their abilities are tied to knowledge planes checks, and they have a really high knowledge planes for a creature with seven intelligence. Oof. So, so let me get this straight. They have to roll a knowledge planes check in order to pull off an ability of theirs. Uh, yeah, in order to shrug off some effects. That's really cool. So, in order in order to shrug off like a dimensional anchor, they can shrug it off with a knowledge planes check. Hmm. It's the same as um, when we discussed that they can precisely shift planes. 
they need to make a knowledge planes check to do that precisely but it's a pretty easy check for them and doing so allows them to be they they have you know the ability to plane shift it allows them to be at a certain spot in the plane instead of being 500 miles away like a normal you know, plane shift yeah like a normal plane shift would work so they have this weird intimate knowledge of the planes despite it being unclear what plane they're actually from which is interesting but but what i what i found myself adding to this dimensional master this dimension mastery it seems to work a lot like dimensional agility without being the same ability which is a feat Mm -hmm. uh, that lets you take the rest of your actions after a dimension door but it's not really clear because it's like can take actions normally versus take the rest of your actions right right and so i I kind of gave them the dimensional dervish feet line so that they could teleport or dimension door and then attack that kind of thing because I, I don't really know if that's the intent of dimension mastery. I don't think it necessarily is because by my reading that would mean like their at will dimension door should still be a standard action and then what do they get to do? Just move afterwards or take an action, take a move action. It's kind of, it's kind of lame for what I wanted them to be able to do. So I kind of wanted them to be able to use the dimension door, like their move action. And there are feats that even as a player character, you can take that allow you to do that kind of thing. So I let that dimension mastery kind of act as a pre prereq for one of the prereqs for a dimensional dervish. Sure. Sure. Yeah. makes sense to me. I, I agree with you. I mean, it was used to uh, brutal effect against our party, but I kind of agree with the thinking there. If you if you use that and have basically nothing left to do on your turn, what's the point of dimension dooring up to somebody and then having a move action? How exciting! Yeah, I took I took them up to you guys because it's like you're everything's happening quickly, and like when they come up to you. They're kind of trying not to wake you up. So mm. they're doing like the action and then gonna attempt to like brutalize you the next turn, but Eclipse Eclipse is yelling, saved you. Uh, <laughs> it it's kinda cool. I think this is the first time I've played a character in or a, a creature in this campaign that had DR five lawful. Lawful yeah, that is not was really, really a very common me, DR. Yeah. And, and these creatures are just so chaotic, I guess, um, which which might make me think that they come from like the um, like the maelstrom or something. But it doesn't say anything about that being their home plane. So mm-hmm. um, to the extent that anything is their home plane, I mean, they they tend to in the lore favor things that are that are far away, planar, like in, in terms of where the planes are. So they're like the. Uh, inner planes and the outer planes and they tend to favor the outer planes and beyond as where they like to kind of live mm-hmm. but they hate everything that's sentient it's it's a strange i mean they they don't have to eat they don't have to do any of this so it's kind of a weird hatred thing that they have um towards sentient creatures and they just will teleport you off to the far reaches of the planes because they uh they want to see you suffer. Yeah. And they know that they can strand you there. And and I think that's that's 
that's a very interesting point to bring up. I think that plays to what we know about dimensional shamblers, and I think it plays to what we understand about the typical H.P. Lovecraft type character. You might not know exactly where it comes from, and you might not understand its motives before, during, or after an encounter. Um, I have a, a quote here from PS, PFSRD about the creature that I think I think warrants uh, warrants quoting here. So um, I, I type in here, they have no clear goal or reason for traversing the plains, and here's where I start the quote. They're prone to attacking other creatures when they encounter them, so attempts to learn more about this mysterious race through conversation have not resulted in particularly informative results. Like you said, they have a low intelligence, and I think I saw something there, um, something on there as well about people have tried to talk to them, and when they do, um, they argue a dogma that, like, they don't, they don't really understand what they're saying, kind of, or they can't, they can't continue continue an argument or explain what they want to do. They just grab somebody and go. Even if, uh, even if you get to the point where you can talk to one of them, what they say doesn't really make sense. And I think that's what's scary. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you picked up on this, but like with all of that in mind and the fact that they're immune to being summoned forcefully Mm -hmm. like many other planar beings you know might just get sucked into some wizard summoning these things can't be summoned or can't be summoned without great difficulty um can't be reasoned with without great difficulty and yet these four are operating as a unit and you noticed the eye. Sure did. So they're working for somebody. Why might that be? Have they been dominated in some way? Do they have an alliance with somebody that I don't understand yet? I don't know. And I don't think our characters know yet either. Um, you're right. It is very scary. I am spooked. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to comment to something that I also saw in this lore section here that I think is very cool. Um, I saw that spellcasters have tried for a long time to research dimensional shamblers. Why might that be? It's because of the ability you talked about earlier, where they can show up precisely in a location when they're hopping in between planes. If you're not familiar with the plane shift spell, plane shift, although for some classes is not a particularly high level spell, it's very imprecise. When you plane shift somewhere, there's a... There's a per- uh, I don't I don't think it's a percentage. I think it's like a D100 you roll and you times it by five or something, and that's how many miles or, or 500 or so- something wild. It's it it's a it's, it's a-, a D100 times five and like so the closest you can actually get to something is like five miles. Five away miles. From okay. It, so of was, your intended I, location. I was closer than I thought, um, but when you plane shift, you're right. The closest you can be is five miles but you have just as equal of a chance as showing up 500 miles away so you know spellcasters your arcane casters your wizards and stuff um, try to capture dimensional shamblers and study them because the dimensional shamblers always seem to show up exactly where they want when they want with no issues and to understand that power would give you a lot of power so there's no follow-up to that. There's no, this one spellcaster figured it out at one point or anything. 
I just thought that was a really cool tidbit, um, a, a cool way of world building that these are highly prized. Um, these are highly prized creatures to capture and study because there's so much potential, but nobody's really figured it out. But it seems like this 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 A this I guy has figured something out with them. Yeah, it might be. All right, Griff, was there anything else you want to discuss about the dimensional shambler before we move on? No, I think a lot of the rest of them is going to come out in the next episode. Yeah. We'll see some, some interesting stuff. We're, we're booked a few episodes out. We've got them in the banks. And I'll just say things get wild. Yep. Things, they, they do be getting wild. Things over the next few episodes take turns that I don't think that the listeners will expect. And I'm very excited to see what people have to say. But anyway, it's time for everyone's favorite segment. This is some listener questions. And these might be a little a little spooky. Some of them are a little bit more topical, but we got some spooky ones in there. So first of all, Griff. This one comes from Lord Deathquake. Assuming Ick is staying to lead the wolves, and Harry Burt is a new PC. Well, you got that right. That's exactly how that worked out. Have you ever voluntarily retired a character before the end of an adventure? What considerations led to it? Narrative, mechanical, other. So as somebody who has GM'd very, very little, I've obviously never been in the situation where I've been running a a longer adventure and somebody has wanted to opt their character out for mechanical or narrative reasons. I've sat at a table where it's happened before, but I believe it's only happened once around me. Is is, Is that true for you as well, Griff, or am I missing something? Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't personally done it in any of the campaigns I've played in, and it's not a very common occurrence at our table, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the option is always there. When it's a podcast or something, sometimes it's a little easier to play it off as a narrative decision. Yep. But I think realistically, like when you're putting a show like this out sometimes a character's story arc is is complete or is at least going in a vastly different direction than the story arc of the campaign and i think that's something to consider it's important to consider and it's what we considered with ikmer was that you know everything everything from episode one was kind of leading up to this and so if he were to just continue on with the party after this, it kind of cheapens everything that's happened to him. And so before we even got to 100 and stuff, I was always giving Brooks options for this because it's like, well, you know, if I give you X, you're going to reti- re- you're going to have to retire Ikmer and come in as something else. If if we do this, you're going to have to retire Ikmer and come in as something else. Um, are you okay with that? Is that how you want the story to go? Or do you want me to change it in some way? Yeah. So that's how it worked. <laughs> the time I've GM'd for it, I guess. Yeah. I, th- I think for, to, to answer this a little bit or, or build on your answer rather was that 
there was a mutual understanding between the GM and the PC that Ikmer is going to complete a story arc and it's going to be a very beautiful and good time for him to exit the story. Very convenient. Now, because we know that's going to happen, we can also play with the mechanics of his character. Because I think we've talked about it on here before, and if we haven't, we, we'll, we're we going to say it now, that coming into episode 100, if he was going to stay with the party, he probably never would have gotten that full li- uh, lycanthrope template. Am I right? No, it would've, he would have stuck with the actual lycanthrope corruption. Mm-hmm. So Significantly less powerful. Mm-hmm. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. So so basically, we or rather, you and Brooks look, looked at when he might exit the story, built up to that, and built around it, so that it could be this big triumphant moment where Ikmer gets really powerful, and and um, we can really all appreciate him just cutting loose and being a badass, and then wraps himself up, and we're moving on to the next thing. Yeah. And I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, like, I'm more than happy to GM for for a limited amount of time, right? I think we had some of our most fun combats at the end of book three, because mm-hmm. y- you can kind of go nuts with it when when you overpowered your players to some extent. Yep. So, so that also paved the way for us being able to do that, which... You know, can you, can you imagine doing the Vrood fight without... Uh, without Saw and without Ikmer having the power-ups he had, it would have... I mean, I feel like you guys would have got wiped without some of those boons. Yeah, and and not to mention the the rest of the boons that we got from the party. Freya's, right. Fre- Freya got a huge power-up. Matumbe um, uh, got a lot more versatile with his inspirations and, and his knowledge checks. I don't believe Eclipse ever really used that ethereal armor. Um, but, you know, this goes back to our talk around the CR of the Dimensional Shamblers. We may be, uh, now we're level 9. At the time, we were a level 8 party, but we were well beyond that from the, the tools that we were afforded. Right. So, um, we were up there. We got taken down a little bit of a peg, but we won. Uh Cool. So our next question comes from Giuseppe. Uh, he says he's not caught up yet and don't know if this has already been addressed, but I'm super curious about the mechanics underpinning all of the werewolf clans competition and relationships and how that was altered for this particular party. So, um, so Griff between, between the, the five wolf tribes were there. Um, how do I want to say this? The, their ideals, the way they acted, um, how they played with each other was that from the book or did you you change those up at all did you play up the uh the devil wolves and the prince of wool the prince's wolves i'm just curious oh absolutely yeah mm-hmm. i mean the so mechanically and in this sense i'm using mechanically in quotes by that i mean like uh lore wise i guess because there are no like actual mechanics behind it mm-hmm. but uh, lore-wise, the Dorzenevs are the weakest wolves. The Mordrenach are the ones that look like they're about to take over, so the Dorzenevs immediately bow to them and work for them. The Volensang are the ones whose pack lord was killed. They're, they were the tribe that the pack lord came from, and so they kind of had the... They didn't have the most power, per se, but they 
they definitely had the most reason to be upset. Mm-hmm. And they're also the most powerful in that they they can transform into those dire wolves and become a large um, a large hybrid form and that kind of thing. Uh, those are kind of unique mechanics to them. So the Morjanox and the Dorzenev seem basically the same from the book as to how we saw them. Volan saying, I don't know if we really saw the large wolves in action. You did. Yeah, you saw them a couple times. But but every time it was altered because Kavalkasane had this relationship with Ikmer. Sure. Okay, she okay was this makes like, sense. She was kind of like watching over him and maybe knew that he was the prince of wolves in some respects, even when he was a younger and so she that's the reason you got the you got the like parlay with certain wolves like the wolf that um, that you went into the forest and met with Duristan like that one's willing to talk because Kavalkasane talked about Ikmer I remember this you, absolutely yep when yep. you like fight the ones the ones that are um, like on your way to the stairs of the moon like it's the same guy and one of his buddies and he's like turn back you know we won't hurt you but this doesn't concern you mm-hmm. like those you so you did fight a bunch of the large sized uh, Volansang wolves you know what I, I thought they were more Janox in, in my memory so yeah that's, that was just me misremembering but yes yeah, the only Mordrinox you fought were the ones that kept shoving you off the tower mm-hmm. and uh, Mathis. Yep. But um, then you had you had the Prince's Wolves who are written into the story as being the only tribe that will ally with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's written in there that like the party can either choose to just fucking murder them or they can work together and the prince's wolves can kind of help you out in Feldgrau among the other wolves. Um, and the, the devil wolves are the demon wolves in the book. Um, but they're the ones that, you know, there's, they're not, they're the ones that definitely have the, the non natural born wolves in their group. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all demon worshipers, Giselda, um, they, I mean, I definitely had to change that. Obviously, I even changed the name yep. to suit Saw coming into the story, and we definitely changed pieces of it, like having different were creatures in that tribe, to suit the fact that their leader was a were tiger. And yep, uh, yep. so, I mean, that one definitely got the most alteration from a um, from an early point to kind of suit saw coming into the story. I definitely changed them around in, in all of the information dumps you got the prince's wolves. I had always had the Ikmer tie into that group. So that's where I wanted his father to be. And I think I introduced Rick Mitt like in the second round of evil interludes. So you did. Yeah. The, the Horus, uh, Christmas party. Yeah. So like three months into our podcast. So mm-hmm. I've been thinking about this stuff and, Mechanically, like those were kind of the relationships in the book, and I didn't devi- deviate too much from the relationships as they were set out, but definitely had to give different knowledge and different leeway based off of how the the party reacts when they have prior knowledge of the of the 
civil war and um and when they you know when you have like a character like saw that changes sides Mm -hmm. that kind of thing you know that would never happen as written yeah you just kill the anti-paladin at the top of the mill or whatever and be done with the wolves yes now i'm glad that we did what we did with them or, or rather you guided us into to do what we did with them um, I mean, the thing is, like, in the book, they just kill each other. Yeah. Like, in the book, they would have all imploded. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you have Ikmer saves all of these wolves from tearing each other apart and also incorporates allies for, for a piece of the book. So I think the bigger change is having to change Feldgrau because you have a pack of wolves now. Yeah. You know, I... I obviously thought about because I, I I knew of the the devil wolf change. They're supposed to be through and through evil, not sympathetic at all. You're supposed to fight them. Mm-hmm. Um, Mordrinox are obviously bad folks. It seems like we went up against the um, uh, the Volan saying a, a couple times, and you mentioned that you could just straight up kill the prince's wolves too. I guess I never really thought of like almost murder hoboing our way through this and just wiping out all of the wolves. Not something we could do with Ikmer around, but a normal party playing through this on a not show capacity could just. Yeah. I mean, imagine how suspicious you get when, when like a group of people comes out of the woods in like normal form and like tries to, you know, talk you down. It's like, well, these guys are just going to fuck with us. Let's kill them. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I'm glad it it turned out the way it did. And now all five, all five families are one big happy family. Had their big end of a Fast and Furious movie moments where they all celebrated together. We're not different clans. We're family. Family. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if in Fast 9, Vin Diesel and company were fighting evil necromancers. It just makes sense. At this at this point, it makes sense. Hey, next question comes from Tilda. She asks, what other locations in Galarian do you think would fit for more horror-themed adventures? And for what sorts of horror genres? I thought about this for a little bit, and I, th- and I came up with a couple answers myself that I'm actually pretty excited for. So, yeah, I love this question. This question is so, such a good question. This question is bomb. I mean, because you really could look at any little corner of Galarian and insert any creepy creature and make something work. Um, what I came up with, I don't know how many folks at home have watched season one of The Terror. I think I've talked about it on the show before. If I haven't, it is a show that was on AMC Um there have been two seasons so far, but it's an anthology series. So season one is self-contained. Season two is a completely separate story that's self-contained. Season one is this historical fiction um, story about these two British ships that are trying to find the Northwest Passage, I believe, in the 1800s. So they're trying to get through the Arctic Ocean to, um, to Asia, and they get locked in the ice and they get locked in the ice for like three or four years or something. Like it freezes and it never unfreezes. And over that time, there's this like, there's this bear that's out in the wild, like picking them off. And um, they're starting to go insane because they packed all of their food in lead containers. And over 
the years i mean they had years worth of provisions because they didn't know how long they'd be stuck up there they understood the arctic they understood that they could be stuck but they're all getting like lead and mercury poisoning and stuff they're going nuts um so i was thinking you take that kind of a setting that kind of a theme and drop it in irisen so you've got a party that's stranded in in these Siberian-esque mountains that's getting hunted by a Wendigo or something, and there's no way out. They, there's no civilization around him. Maybe even inject a little, like, Donner Party nonsense. They're in a, yeah, in, like, in a bigger group of folks. Sur- yeah. Survival horror there. Survival horror with this, like, omnipresent terror out there that's hunting them, so they're stuck in one little location they can't go out for food they can't go out for help um and the people in that little location are going crazy themselves i also so i thought do you that want to go back and forth do you want to go back and forth do you got do you got a couple because yeah i have quite a few um and and going off of that survival horror mm-hmm. i have a i have one that i i really think would be um kind of like green inferno the yes. um, the the kind of like discovered um, tribe of people that are cannibals in like the in, in the jungle. Mm-hmm. I think you can really get there with the Mwangi. Griff, I, think, I swear, I, I swear you to you, I almost wrote this idea down. Yeah, because because especially especially in the lore in Galarian, you have these like devil worshiping, uh, demon worshiping tribes, and like even demon worshiping gorillas and shit, like intelligent gorillas and stuff in the Mwangi, and all of this like, all of this demon stuff happening, and these these sacrifices and rituals happening in like the heart of the Mwangi that is unexplored and like deep jungle. I think you could definitely pull off that kind of horror in the Mwangi, not to mention that you could pull off Jurassic Park and shit in there too. Yep. Uh, and you could, you could go like both ways with it if you wanted to. Um, so I think, I think definitely Garoon and especially the Mwangi is where you're going to be able to get some really crazy fucking like sacrifice and that kind of thing. Oh, and, and I bet, um, I bet you could do, um, you could do the kind of I can't remember the movie, but they go into like the Aztec. Um, they go into the Aztec uh, temples or whatever. Is they go into the Aztec temples? Are they like stranded on one? Because there's a movie called The Ruins. Yes, yes, The Ruins. That's oh, what I'm thinking. Boy. I think you could do the. I think you could do the ruins with that area as well. Mm-hmm. I read that. I read that book before I saw the movie. I read the book. That book is harrowing, man. That's a yeah. rough time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think this circles back to the discussion we had at the top of the episode about the island. You have what could be crazy cannibal tribes. You have these demon worshipers. And you're also in one of the most alive but most deadly terrains in all of Galarian. Everything there is trying to kill you. The, the mosquitoes carrying airborne viruses and, and diseases. You've got snakes and scorpions and alligators and fuck, you got fucking dinosaurs. Like, yep, <laughs> there's dinosaurs on on top of the the ruins, the the demon worshiping stuff. You've got some legitimately terrifying stuff around you, too. I mean, you literally have like Angazan or whatever his name is, like the d- demon gorilla king. Mm hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It, it, somewhere out there, there's like this powerful demon in an entire city of uh, Churuka, I believe they're called. The uh, the crazy apes that are intelligent and just want to eat people. Yeah, I was so surprised you didn't have that one on your list that I had to bring it up. Well, I'm glad you did because I almost did. I didn't know how many you were looking to bring to the table. I wrote down two big ones, but frankly, I could go for a while on this question. Yeah, um, I got a couple of uh, couple of choice ones coming up. All right. Well, then I'm going to do my second one. This will probably be the only other one I'm going to bring to the table here. Um, I, I have a it's it's a very short premise, but I think it works. Plop the party in Galt or uh, Rasmirin and do the purge. <laughs> oh boy. So Galt is a country that's basically um, furnished after like revolutionary France. So the government's always turning over. They constantly are beheading uh, the people in charge with guillotines. There are these like inquisitions all the time. It's always uh, a state of political unrest. And Rasmiran is this weird theocracy where a, um, I believe he's a powerful wizard. Um, a very powerful wizard is pretending to be a god, but he has everybody under his thumb. And I think you can do a very effective political horror there, similar in, 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 in the, as to the purge, where you're stuck in the middle of a city and you have no friends there. And you need to go from building from build, building to building, hiding and getting out. Um, and everything goes and there's inquisitors hunting you down or just slaughtering people in the streets. Um, there's no crazy creatures, no crazy magic, no nothing, no demon worshiping apes. It's just the worst of humanity coming for you because of some crazy political or religious ideal that they have. And I think that's scary for a whole nother reason than anything that we mentioned tonight. And I think you could do it very effectively in either of those two locations. For the exact same reasons, I'm calling out both Cheliax and Nadal. Okay, I am on board. And I think, I think Cheliax. I mean, it's the infernal empire. Mm-hmm. The shit that happens behind closed doors, the political horror that you could get into in Cheliax is insane. Yeah. Once House Thrune takes over, it's like it, it, uh, the things that people get away with, the devil worship that happens there. Um, and the absolute punishment. By the same token, this happens in Nadal already. It's a place that is that is owned by a sadistic evil god. Mm-hmm. The, they traded their humanity to be saved when when uh, the what is it the when the sky fell or whatever it's called. I can't remember it right now. Um, Starfall. Yes. When Starfall happened, uh, when when Galarian basically got hit by a fucking meteor, they traded their humanity to Zonkathon. and in return, the the Umbral Court is one of the most terrifying organizations in Galarian, and you could do you could do so much with Nadal, and so much has already been done with Cheliax. I think Nadal is a is the perfect opportunity to do stuff because. The the Paizo staff hasn't really touched Nadal from a like an AP standpoint. They've hit mm-hmm. Cheliax like four times. Yes. Um, 
So I think from a political horror or just a like societal horror, you can really get into it with those two places. I mean, fuck, read um, read the Pathfinder Tales Night Glass. The the people in the farming villages in Nadal like basically allow their children to look into the night glass and see like terror and then sell them off to be tortured and to become like the the um to be like t- licked by the joyful things oh, and that Jesus. shit it's like you have that horrifying. right i do I, right, i'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna in, borrow it i read that to preempt um when we went to nadal in the evil interlude mm-hmm. um so that's a that's a terrifying place. A, another place that I will say, um, by the same vein, uh, if you want to do like undead horror, do Gab. Yes, I mean easy. that's it's easy and no one's touched it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to do like Cronenberg shit, do the Mana Wastes. Okay. Between Geb and Nex. Yep. That's like you're on one side. So basically, how I would do that kind of horror is like survival against the undead and like the undead establishment in Geb. And then you have to escape through the mana waste to get to Nex. Mm-hmm. And the mana waste have like areas where like time distorts and random arcane energies fire. And like you can, you can easily get Cronenberged in the mana waste uh, turned into this disfigured disgusting creature and and like the things that are, that have survived in the mana waste are probably the most terrible terrible things yeah that's it's like that's uh, a great it's suggestion. like the the movie it's like the movie meg. meg there's a megalodon and it lives in the mariana trench like it's it's lived in this like in this inhospitable void of void of light whatever circumstance and it's this crazy monster that once you have to face it is similar to anything that would be able to survive the mana waste is just like this devastatingly powerful creature I never would have thought we would be comparing the mana wastes to the mag but here we are (laughs) and I don't think it's a bad analogy Um, and then if you make it through the mana waste you can get to Alkenstar and you can have guns cool Adventure path written. Boom. <laughs> you can bill us later, Paizo. Bill us later. <laughs> All right. Those, so- those are my suggestions. And there are many more. I mean, there, there's very, very. Uh, okay, one more I will give because right. Paizo's doing it. So, like, read Agents of Edgewatch right now because if you like the Jack the Ripper type horror, the Devil in the White City type horror, uh, fucking Absalom's the per- perfect place to do that. Sweet. It just is. It's the biggest city on Galarian. And. Uh, if you're going to have this like sadistic serial killer, that's a perfect place to do it. Sweet. That's awesome. I've heard a lot of good things about that AP. Um, very excited to learn more about that, but staying away from it just in case, just in case, because I have heard good things and it seems like one that I may want to play one day. Um, so yeah, honestly, I might not even retire this question, Griff. I might put this right back in rotation for some time because this is what this was uh, the best question I feel like we've had in a long time. A, a one that really challenged me to to think about cool horror. Stuff. I would love this question with a narrowed down um, like version of horror just to see what we can come up with. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like we're kind of given these grand ideas of like where what different types of horror you could run different places. Like okay, take like the whole exorcism genre. Where would you do that? You know, take the whole, um, 
take the take the like kaiju monster like big monster flick genre where would you do that you know see if we can come up with something yeah i i i think we should do this i think we should get back into this um so but we, we got two more I want to get to today, and then we can call it a day. This one comes from our real good buddy, Adam. This is the GM from Southern Tomfoolery. You know him. You love him. He also GMs us in Hideous Laughter. Ooh, boy, that's not right. Hideous Tomfoolery. Um, you want to learn more about that show? Join our damn Discord. Um, he says, so what's the scariest moment you've had as a player, Steve? I'm assuming he's talking about this campaign, but I don't think my answer changes anyway. Um, and have you ever creeped yourself out, Griff? So I have two for slightly different reasons. The most scared I've been at the table of just like party wipe too early, like what the hell is going on? This is this shouldn't be happening. Is the color spray at in Trellis's house when we first meet the Nethel goo that bursts out of this crazy man's head? Color sprays and only Lyra makes it. That had me that I mean, my heart stopped. We're in freaking like episode 14 of the podcast or wherever we are. I don't remember what it is, but it's very low. Um, it was like, like seven or eight. OK, so, yeah, way even way earlier. Um, and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. This is terrible. I was very scared. Um, and that was I think, yeah, that was way before we ever made it to the prison. Um, I think the actual scariest traditional scare that I've got, right? So not scared in like a, a meta or mechanical sense, but scared as in like, uh oh, this is very creepy. Um was the end of the evil interlude where we go to Nadal and we meet the joyful things. Um I think you described them very well, Griffin. They are terrifying creatures before you touched them and you made them even more terrifying. So uh hats hats off to you on that one. That got me good. So they were licking everybody had really disgusting voices and showing some really, really terrible stuff to the four antiheroes you see. And well, I shouldn't say antiheroes, just straight up villains you see in uh, the evil interlude. Yeah. Yeah. Those were, uh, those were good moments. Yeah. I think when I scare myself, it's usually in an attempt to one up you guys in the evil interlude, <laughs> which happens. Yes. Which, yeah, which definitely happens, but as I'm playing Arn Vrood in that, um, it's definitely happened several times where, like, things have gone darker than you guys took them because I'm one-upping you with that character. There was definitely a game of chicken we played. I can't remember if it was, like, you versus the party or just all of us together when we had, like, a big cannibal feast and we were all just kind of just trying to gross each other out at that point. Yep. Similar uh, to that. that and like when you guys brought the whole Anya thing in. Yep. Uh, I was kind of like, okay, well, where, where am I going to take this? Because this is already pretty fucked up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that like, that's creepy. And then um, I would say some of the some of the descriptions have made my own stomach turn of things that uh that have appeared um just in general in this campaign (laughs) there's a lot of shit that's kind of like not really uh not really comfortable with it but um not not too much of it in in i wouldn't say i've like scared myself at all in book three i don't think book three is like was very scary for me i think the direction i took the um the 
the guy in uh, Hergstag, the um, why can't I think of it? The the wraith. Yeah, the the guy with all the eyes, the kid's eyes. Yeah, yeah. Like the direction I took him was like pretty fucking dark, even for me, because mm-hmm. uh, that's obviously not like the, <laughs> at least like the connotations of that are not in the book. Sure. So I think I've got a little. I've kind of scraped the bottom of the barrel with like how fucking bleak and dark things have gotten, which definitely like creeps my creeps myself out when I go there. You won't. You don't appreciate the light until you see just how dark the night can get, man. That's the truth. Um, unless there's anything you you'd like to add, I'd like to bring us home, man, with this last question. Yeah. All right. This comes from King Kazoo. What's the number one way that you don't want to die, and maybe also a way that you'd like to go? A very appropriate question for the Halloween season. Is this just asking us? Yeah, I think he's making plans. Oh. <laughs> Lovely. Yep. So get it get it out now, man. I'm going to say uh, I don't want to die young, and I would like to die old. But uh, yeah, I feel like I feel like that's an easy one. Uh, I don't want to die in a prolonged fashion. I yeah. would like to die quickly if I have to die. <laughs> yeah, I think I've heard that um, that drowning is particularly terrible. I know yeah. there's always the that debate between which way would you rather go, drowning or being lit on fire. Um, I think lit on fire is very bad, but I think I've heard weirdly. I feel I think I've heard that drowning is worse. I think when you I get know on fire, your nerve endings burn. Yeah. And, then, and, and it's kind of like you at least don't feel it mm-hmm. as much. But. Ugh. Uh, and then maybe a way I'd like to go. Um, I don't know. Some sort of heroic shootout where I'm protecting people or uh, I don't know. Just nuclear bomb vaporization. Close enough to the epicenter that. Yep. I want to watch the that, thing come down and bam. I've heard that freezing to death isn't uh, particularly bad. Really? Because you just kind of like go to sleep. Okay. And never wake up. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I guess the process of freezing is probably painful. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I. I, th- I think that's one that also depends. I think that also that probably also depends on the time period, right? Because I've seen on the you know like the I sh- shouldn't be alive shows on the Discovery Channel or stuff. People that are stuck in the Arctic for weeks and you know slowly yeah. they're losing feeling in their fingers and toes and stuff. That seems awful. But if it was just like yeah, I got locked in a freezer and in six hours I died. All right, well you fell asleep and don't wake up. Yeah, I think. This should well, that, that got morbid. Yeah, this should uh, this should provoke some lively discussion on the Discord. Is it lively talking about death? Fair enough. Um, and uh, if you want to tell us how you would not want to die or would like to die, make sure to use the hashtag #unlivelyconversation and uh, hit. Ooh, I definitely up. don't want to die from like any kind of poison. Ooh, I feel like that would awful. be horrible. Yeah. I feel like if if you have the right the the right level of venom from like a a snake or a spider or a scorpion, you get stung and then it's like oh shit, minute or two I'm gone. It's not bad. Knock it out. Yeah, quick. but a lot of that stuff like makes you like 
vomit and like retch and like bleed out of your eyes and shit. Like, shit. Well, yeah, yourself. I wouldn't want one of those. But yeah. Well, okay. So I'm just saying, like, that's a part of it's a part of the being poisoned too. Well, right. You, and I, I guess that guess the point I'm trying to make. You could go either way with that. It could be very bad, or it could be. I mean, you could go vain this. with it. Die, however, leaves the prettiest corpse. Mm, that's true. That'd be how I want to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're gonna close the casket anyway. <laughs> no matter how pretty I look, they're like, oh, okay. Close it. We've seen enough. Lord on it. Yep. Splash it with the hams. But all right. I think that was a very appropriate way to end this episode. Griff, I do think you succeeded your your will save. And um, we're probably wrapping it up. Is there anything you want to cover, you want to mention before you get out of here? Anything at all. This is your time to speak. Otherwise, I'm shutting it down. Keep your ears and eyes on the feed. As we foreshadowed earlier, big news ahead. Big things popping. All this little shit be stopping. Mm. It depends who you define as little shit. I mean, we're still going to do it all, but you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't really have anything else. Sweet. Happy spooky season. Happy spooky season. More spooky content to- coming to y'all soon. Um, if that's the case, Griff, you succeeded your will save. Um, You know you're lying. Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later.